Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Hey, if you're new here, we're glad you stopped by. I hope you'll not only be encouraged by the Word of God, but stick around and connect with our ministry in other ways as well. We're in a series in Romans 6 to 8 right now called How God Helps Us Change. And today's message looks at why we don't do what we want to do. If the self-help section of the bestseller list is any indication, this is a lesson that we all need to come to terms with. Just about every religion or spirituality has a list of things you need to do to be a better person. Some urge people to practice patience, show compassion, and be generous. Others emphasize meditation, mindfulness, and self-control. And some talk about being yourself, following your dreams, giving yourself forgiveness. I got a kick out of one guru who advertised how to become a better person in 10 seconds. As you may have guessed, he recommends people count to 10 before they react to situations and answer people. And he's convinced that that will make us all better human beings. I wonder whether that would have made a difference with Adolf Hitler or Genghis Khan. I don't know whether you believe you can become a better person in 10 seconds or not, but chances are that you found yourself tempted at some point to think there's some set of rules or principles that could bring lasting change in your life, or maybe your children's lives. It's one of the reasons that New Year's resolutions are so popular. The problem is that if we don't come to terms with why we often fail, then we'll probably just be setting ourselves up for disappointment. In today's passage, Paul helps us see why the law of Moses failed, failed to bring deeper transformation in the nation of Israel. He was mostly speaking to non-Jews, to Greek and Roman Christians. But he knew if they didn't understand why the law hadn't changed the Jews, they would inevitably bring the same mindset to their view of how to bring about change in themselves. Turn with me to Romans 7 verses 7 to 25. I'm going to try and simplify it, but today's passage, very complicated. <laughs> so you really want to have it open before you as I walk you through it. I'll start reading at Romans 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet the, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, 
but sin dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. This is the word of God. Now, this passage gives us three lessons to learn from Israel's experience with the law, and in so doing, it helps us to avoid repeating them. The first thing we learn is that if any law could have made us better, it would have been the law of Moses. Today, people put their hope in politicians and principles. They they look to the principles of the universe. They, they want better policies. We want life hacks that'll help us turn a corner in life or personal growth. But Israel's experience should give us caution. If any law could have made us better, it would have been the law of Moses. Now, if you were with us last week, we looked at the opening, uh, uh, opening verses of this chapter. Paul went into great detail about how we as Christians have been released from the Mosaic law. The old covenant is old. It's no longer the way that God's people relate to him since Jesus' death and resurrection. In verse 4, for instance, Paul said that you also have died to the law so that you may belong to another. Then in verse 6, he says that we are released from the law. And he anticipates there are going to be some people who are listening who are thinking, well, the law must have been evil. So in verse 7, he asks, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. For Paul, it would be crazy to think that the law was in some way sinful. The law was good. It was God-given. To start with, the law helped to define sin's boundaries. It showed how life was designed to work by pointing to the things to pursue and the things to avoid. So again, in verse 7, it says, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Without a clear word from God, we end up trying to do what we think is right, but we often get it wrong. Or we have to go with the latest trend, only to find out later that it was a really bad idea. Take, for example, the law they came up to to resolve marital disputes in 13th century Europe. If a couple had a serious enough disagreement, they could actually resolve it by formal combat. The woman was allowed to have a sling with a two kilogram rock tied up in it. And the husband was given a club of the same length. But to even things up, he had to stand in a hole that came up to his waist. The imbalance of strength was balanced by the fact that the woman could run around her husband freely and try to attack him from all sides. They would duel like this to the death. At the time, it might have felt like a good way to deal with marriage problems. 
But we look back now and say, that's completely ridiculous. <laughs> and the thing is that people will be saying the same things about many of the rules that people come up with and believe in so strongly today. With the law that God gave through Moses, the Jews had clear direction in many aspects of life. They didn't have to guess or make up rules they would later see to be foolish. But the law didn't just define the boundaries of God's will. It also showed them how pervasive sin was. In, in the second half of verse 13, Paul says that through the law, sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. People who never make New Year's resolutions assume they have lots of control. It's only as you seek to be holy, as the Jews did through the law, that you realize how unholy you are. It's only when you try to keep God's commands faithfully that you begin to see how unfaithful you are. The many laws that God gave to the Jewish people not only helped them to see his will for their lives, but it also showed them how deeply sin affected their lives and how much they needed a savior. The clarification Paul was trying to make, though, was that the problem with, was with our sin, not with the law. So again, in verse 12, he says, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law came from God and reflected the character of God and the wisdom of God. If a law could have made us holy, that would have been it. And you see, the point of him describing all of this is to warn us about looking outside the Bible for another law to change our lives, or to just camp on the commands of the New Testament or the Bible and think that that will transform us. If after 1,500 years, Paul could say that the law hadn't made the Jews holy, what are the chances that you're going to become a better person in 10 seconds? If the Ten Commandments couldn't change their hearts, what kind of difference do you think it'll make to just count to ten? Learn from Israel's experience. If any law could have made us better, it would have been the law of Moses. But it didn't. Now, the second thing that we learn from Israel's experience with the law is that a system that relies on rewards and punishments will ultimately condemn us and drive us to more sin. And I realize this is counterintuitive for many Christians. We think if we just give people strong enough warnings and harsh enough penalties, surely they'll fall in line. But if all we're relying on is a system of rewards and punishments, all they do is ultimately condemn people and they drive them to more sin, not less. Notice what happens in verse 8. He writes, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. What he's saying is that while the law warned him not to covet, the sin in his heart reacted to the command. It's almost as if his sin was incensed by the idea of being told what not to do. And it started manufacturing all kinds of covetous thoughts and temptations. Any of you who have had toddlers understand this dynamic. So often when you tell a toddler not to do something, something inside them seems to say, oh yeah, oh, I'm doing that all right. <laughs> when I think back to ways that our kids would test us, I would often think, why are they fighting me on this? This couldn't possibly be pleasurable for them. But forbidden fruit demands to be eaten. 
If I say, don't lick the staples, all of a sudden, staples look like candy to the strong-willed toddler. And Paul is warning us that while we may come up with sophisticated ways to hide this, the sin in our hearts doesn't go away as we get older. In the case of Israel, it didn't seem that they had any problem with idolatry until God gave them the Ten Commandments and told them, number one, no other gods before me. What was the first thing that they did? It, it would almost be comical if it wasn't so tragic, but almost as soon as they heard this law and committed themselves to it, they asked Aaron to make a golden calf for them to worship. Forbidden fruit demands to be eaten. eaten. But it's not just the fact that certain things are forbidden to us. Often the very rewards and punishment used to encourage our obedience can actually result in us committing more sin. Notice what Paul says in verses 10 and 11. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. What's Paul talking about? The Mosaic Law didn't just define sin and righteousness, but it came with rewards and punishments. Theoretically, if someone could keep all of those laws both inwardly and outwardly, there was a promise of life. But the laws provoked people's sin, and they stirred up their rebellion. And so the law just became a reminder of their failure. When you start to feel that kind of shame and frustration, you can either fake it or give in to it. Either way, you, add up, you end up adding to your sin. And so the law, which in itself was good because of human sin, ended up pronouncing this guilty verdict on those who tried to keep it. And more often than not, that drove people away from God and deeper into shame and more sin. The point of this passage is to ensure that we don't repeat their failures. We need to understand how a good law alone can't change us. In fact, a system of rewards and punishments will ultimately condemn us and drive us to more sin. And unfortunately, there are too many churches that operate with this dynamic. They think that they're being faithful, but by just multiplying rules and policing people's behaviors with critical looks and condescending words, they actually create an environment where sin, rather than righteousness, can flourish. Many well-intentioned Christian parents do the same thing. When they think that rules, threats, and punishments are all they need to lead their child to God. Israel's experience with the law shows us that's a recipe to make a child run from God, not to him. A system of rewards and punishments will ultimately condemn us and drive us to more sin. Now, the final thing we learn from Israel's experience with the law is that our basic problem isn't just a lack of information. We're not just wonderful people lacking a few tips to make us holy. It's deeper than that. Our basic problem isn't just a lack of information. Now, before we get into this section, I probably need to clarify the million-dollar question. If you know this passage, you're probably aware that there's tons of debate on who is being described here. There are actually close to a dozen different interpretations held by Bible-believing scholars. Most people read the passage and think, it sounds like Paul's frustrated with his sin, and we're frustrated with our sin too, so this must be talking about his experience as a Christian. 
And there are phrases in the passage that seem to support that. But most scholars today don't hold that position. And it's not because Christians don't struggle with sin, because obviously they do. It's because of the language that Paul uses. In verse 14, he says that he is sold under sin. But in chapter 6, he had just said that believers are set free from sin and no longer enslaved to sin. Also in verse 23, it says that he's captive to the law of sin. But in chapter 8, verse 2, he says believers are free from the law of sin. Finally, in verse 25, he's still trying to serve the law of God. But early in the chapter, he'd gone to great lengths to say that believers are released from the law. The details of the argument are actually really complicated and complex and probably beyond what we can go into in today's message. But the basic thrust of Paul's argument is the same, though, regardless of who you think he's talking about. He's showing why the law failed by explain, explaining that our basic problem isn't just a lack of information. In verse 14, he says, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. He's saying that the human condition is bound by an addiction to sin or controlled by it. That's why the Mosaic law was ultimately ineffective in making people holy. Our problem isn't just that we're lacking information. That's why he says in verse 15, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. We have an inner compulsion to sin, and it frustrates our attempts to do what is right. That was true for Israel under the law, and it's true for people today. That's why New Year's resolutions so often fail. We want to be better, but our sin fights us every step of the way. That doesn't mean that we can't change some things in our lives through willpower and discipline, because we can't. But it means that the kind of holiness that God requires in Scripture is impossible because of our disposition towards sin. As Paul says in verse 21, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Sin is a power inside us that fights against us. In verse 23, he says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. In my mind, skipping dessert tonight sounds like a perfectly good plan. But when you actually try to do it, you realize you'll have a battle on your hands. There's a principle at work in our lives. And that's why we need more than just good information and good intentions to honor God. We need some stronger artillery. And that was what the law didn't provide. In verse 18, Paul says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability. Now, Paul was better qualified to speak this way than perhaps anyone. He was trained under the top rabbi of his day and a member of the strictest sect of Judaism. He knew that the law was good and he wanted to obey it but he just didn't have the power to do so. Don't misunderstand Paul's willpower. It would get him so far. He could keep up with his religious peers. That wasn't the problem. But he knew that the law went deeper than that. A God who commanded him not to covet was a God who demanded to be Lord even over our desires. And Paul knew that his sin kept leading him to defeat and shame. 
Again, his purpose in all this is to show why the law of Moses and the old covenant, despite being good and God-given, was ultimately ineffective in making people holy. Our basic problem isn't just a lack of information. We have an inner addiction to sin. And so we need more than just 10 commandments or seven habits or five pillars or a threefold path. We need a new heart. We need a new spirit. We need new power to change. And that's where we'll turn next time. That's where Paul turns in the next chapter. In the meantime, he ends this passage with a cry of desperation in verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That word wretched is the opposite of the word blessed. He's despairing over the human condition. Seems hopeless. But then he adds in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's this wretched condition that Jesus has saved us from. And maybe you haven't grasped that. Jesus isn't just another religious teacher. We didn't just need more information. Jesus came to set people free from their slavery to sin. He came to break the chains that held us. He came to take the condemnation that stood against us. He came to give us a new heart and a new spirit. He came to give us a new power and ability. He came to give what the law couldn't give. And so if you're trying to keep some sort of moral code and figure that's all you need to grow or be right with God, then you're underestimating the problem and you're underestimating the solution. You need the solution, salvation that only Jesus can give. Turn to him today. And if you have done that, don't go looking for another law. Don't pin your hopes on more rules and stricter enforcement or on more rewards and penalties. Don't go back to the law. We serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Embrace the savior who delivers us in a way that the law never could. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so often we seek change in our lives and we have good desires to change. We really do but we underestimate the problem. We think we just need some positive thinking and some life hacks. 10 seconds to be more mindful and our lives will change. But the slavery remains. Help us, Father, not to go back to old patterns. Help us not to repeat old failures but rather to learn from them. Father, we thank you for the grace that there is in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came to set people free. Thank you that he came not to, just to forgive us, but to break the chains that bound us in old patterns. Thank you for new power, a new heart, Thank you for the spirit who lives within all who would trust in him. Do that work in each of our hearts, Father, we ask. Lead us in your freedom. Lead us into the liberty that Jesus purchased for us. For we ask you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see why we need more than just rules, more than just rewards and information to change. The problem of the human condition goes deeper than that. But the salvation Jesus brought goes just as deep. He came to set us free. If this message has stirred up questions, send me an email or leave a comment below. And if you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.